0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening.
1: Psalm 31. For the Director of Music, a Psalm of David. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue, be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols, as for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. For you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of, my, of the enemy, but have set me feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, You are my God. Many times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let not be put to shame, let me not be put to shame, Lord. For oh sorry. thank you. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let be but let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of death. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogant arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You kept them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In my alarm I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I call you when I call to you for help. Love the Lord all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him. But the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart all you who hope in the Lord.
0: Great job, Sandra. Thank you so much. Not easy when you're reading in your second language. And I was doing the math, my own maths here. uh, I think the last time I preached in Ireland was in 2007. So it's been a while, and I've spent the last 14, 15 years preaching in Portuguese. And so uh, this is the first time I've been able to uh, present a lesson in English. So it's interesting and good to be speaking uh, English again. Uh, we're in Psalm chapter 31 that Sandra just read for us, and I've heard it said that there are two people in the world: those who are heading in to a crisis, and those who are heading out of a crisis. Really, there's only two people. And as we were, as I was studying and preparing for our lesson today, I was reminded of that. I came across an interesting story about a man named Kirk. Bloodsworth, I'm going to try this here and see if that works. A man by the name of Kirk Bloodsworth. In the 1980s, Kirk was sentenced uh, to uh, death row for a crime, a very horrific crime that later came out he did not commit. And he sat on death row for nine years in solitary confinement while he awaited the, uh, the impending death of that conviction. And I was thinking about Kirk as I was preparing my lesson. I was wondering, what would it be like to sit in a jail cell, thinking and wondering and worrying about those steps coming down the corridor, knowing that you were innocent, but wondering if those steps were going to be your last The executioner would show up. What was interesting about Kirk was not the fact that he had uh, been tried and convicted for a crime he never committed or that he was sentenced to death row, but that he was the first American ever acquitted and moved out of death row and declared innocent, first person in history in the United States. Now, whether you agree with that or you don't, what's interesting about this story is that Kirk, as he tells it, as he was sitting on death row, one of the most amazing things happened to him. He found the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was in the midst of tremendous suffering, tremendous affliction, that he found Christ. And I don't know if you noticed in this psalm, this is a very, very unique psalm. And scholars struggle with it. Of how do we place this psalm? Where do we where do we put this in the psalm? Uh, put this psalm in the life of David. What was David struggling with as he was writing this psalm? And honestly, we don't know. We don't know what psalm or what David was struggling with as he penned these words. But we do see an interesting structure to this. That this first part of the psalm is confession. The second part moves into this idea of petition, and then he moves into proclamation. So what was it in David's life? Maybe it was Psalm 32, and if you skip ahead to the next one, you might see that there's some connection between Psalm 31 and Psalm 32. But what this psalm does give us is a very unique vantage point on this old Bible word, affliction. We don't use that word very often, affliction. We talk about suffering, we might say we're struggling, but we don't use this term, but David used this word, affliction. And it's very foreign to our lives, it's very foreign to our world. In fact, if you hear most people talk about suffering, most people that we encounter don't know what to do with suffering. Either there's nothing beyond this life, And so I live for the moment. I live for my life now. It's all about comfort. And you know, and especially where I come from in America, we are great at comfort. We've got comfort nailed. But we're not doing too bad here in Ireland either. We love comfort. And so we don't know what to do with suffering. How do we deal with affliction in our lives? Other people they're influenced by Eastern religion or Eastern, you know, Eastern methodologies or thoughts or worldviews, and so suffering is something to be fought against, something to work against. In fact, the Buddha said all of my teachings are about suffering and the alleviation of suffering, to get away from suffering. And so, whether suffering in our lives doesn't make sense because we're living for the now and what there's nothing to come after, and so. What do I do with suffering? Or suffering is something to be pushed against, to, be, to to run away from, because all it does is ruin our lives. We see around us that suffering pervades our world, and yet there's a deep fear about suffering. We don't know what to do with it. And so in Psalms, we see David wrestle with this. But here in, in the New Testament, even... The disciples who walked with Jesus struggled with suffering. In fact, in John chapter 9, the disciples come to Jesus, and as they were walking along, they saw someone, a man born blind. And they asked him an interesting question. Teacher, rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So even in the book of John, in the story as the disciples were talking to Jesus, they didn't know what to make of suffering either. In fact, in their mindset or in their worldview, somebody messed up. Somebody made a mistake that this man would suffer like this from birth. It was either him or his parents. But there was no third option. And so Jesus says... Neither this man nor his parents sinned. It's Nobody's fault. Nobody's fault. Nobody's being punished here, says Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. So Jesus begins to give us a glimpse of this curious blessing of suffering, this curious blessing of affliction. David will spend in Psalm 31... Several, several lines here as he wrestles with fear, oh sorry, as he wrestles with affliction. The first one that we see that David describes is that affliction or suffering can lead us to fear. Suffering and affliction can lead us to fear. And it's true. Affliction can really make us paranoid. Just like we saw in the lives of the disciples as they were wondering about this man's suffering, this man born blind. They were paranoid. Who sinned here? Who messed up? And affliction has that. And you notice that in David's words as he's writing this, he he uses these these words to describe his fear as he talks about affliction. Notice with me in verse 2. he says, turn your ear to me and come quickly to my rescue. Verse 4, free me from the trap that they have laid for me. Verse 6, lead me, or he says, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. And in the Hebrew, he says, these are nothings of empered God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. There's nothings of emptiness. In verse 8, you have not handed me over to the hands of my enemies. So there's paranoia, these enemies out there. Verse 17, let me not be put to shame. He's afraid of being shamed. In verse 20, save me from the intrigues of men. You see, when I was a kid, one of the worst things that I uh, could hear in the evening was time for bed. And that's why we talked about the fear as, as, as children. I hated hearing those words, it's time for bed, because what did that mean to me? That elicited a fear inside of me that every shadow or noise that I heard as I was off to bed was something waiting to get me. And I hated being wrapped up. I was saying to Barry, I hated being wrapped up in my covers because I was afraid of being trapped. Affliction, suffering in our lives has the power to to melt even the most courageous of us. Affliction and suffering has that power. And in David's life, it surfaced some of his greatest fears. That fear of being lost or ensnared or ashamed or left to the hands of the enemy. And as the famous philosopher Mike Tyson once said, (laughs) everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And fear comes up in our lives. Affliction can do that to us. Everything is going great. Everything is going fine. Until something happens. Some affliction overtakes us. Some suffering happens. And all of a sudden, we're punched in the face. And all of these fears come bubbling up. Things that we haven't worried about or thought about even since we were children. And all of a sudden, they begin to bubble up in our lives. That's what affliction can do. It can lead us to fear. What affliction can do is it can lead us to despair. Affliction has this, it's like acid. It has this ability to destroy us from the inside out. And if you've ever gone through severe times of affliction or suffering, you begin to feel that over time, it's wearing you down. It's eating you from the inside out. So we look here in verses 9 and 10, where he's crying out to the Lord, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. What I find interesting in this little section is that as the level of David's suffering rises, his susceptibility to depression and despair also rises. In fact, we see this strange inverse relationship between the the amount of suffering that we feel, the affliction we feel in our lives, and the deeper and, 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 and worse off we feel in depression and despair. I remember at my father's funeral, people struggling to offer me words of consolation. And they were desperately trying to find the words to help me deal with my suffering. And they, they didn't have any impact on me. It was as if they were saying things that I couldn't understand. They were offering me words of, of pity and consolation but I was in no place to receive them. And it was because my suffering was so great that even these words from people that I loved, people, my friends, my family that were around, they they made no impact. Because as my suffering grew, my desolation, my depression, my despair deepened. And we see that in verses 7 and 8, where David says, You saw my affliction, and you knew the anguish of my soul. You saw my affliction, and you knew the anguish of my soul. And what's interesting is in the Hebrew, see, the English doesn't capture that very well. But in the Hebrew, he's saying, you found me in the narrow place. You found me in the narrow place. What is David saying there? He says, my grief is so great, my suffering is so great that I feel as if my soul is being squeezed to death. He feels like he's in a vice grip. He feels like he's in a vice grip. And affliction can make you feel that way. Now, we know that. If you look in verse 8, the second half of verse 8, he says, but you have set my feet on a spacious place. So in verse 7, he says, God, I feel as if my life is in that narrow place. I'm being squeezed like a vice grip. But then he'll go on later to say, God, you have set me on a spacious place. You've opened it up for me. But when we're in the midst of affliction, it doesn't feel that way. When we're in the midst of suffering, it can feel like we're being squeezed to death. And his pain was so great that it felt like his life was leaving his body, his mind, and his emotions. So affliction can lead us to fear. Affliction can lead us to despair. And thirdly, affliction can lead us to isolation. It can lead us to isolation. In verses 11 and 13, David writes, Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbor's. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery, for I fear the slander of many. There is terror on every side. They're whispering and conspiring against me, and they plot to take my life. He feels like he's all alone. He feels utter my neighbors. I have become an object of dread to my friends, Strangers on the uh, the street flee from me. And here's the interesting thing. David was king. David was the king, and yet even in his suffering, he felt distrustful and suspicious and further alienated from those around him. And here's the truth. When our suffering becomes so great and it takes control of our lives, it can cut us off from those we need the most. you ever been there? Where you're afflicted and you're suffering so great, so greatly, that you don't even want to be around your friends and your family. You can't see them. You can't stand them because you want to be alone. David felt, felt that. When suffering takes control of our lives, as David says here, it can make even our closest friends, and family feel it. So affliction or suffering can lead us to fear. It can lead us to despair. And it can lead us to isolation. But as we see here in Psalm 31, it can also lead us to our Heavenly Father. And what's interesting in this psalm is we begin to see Thousands and thousands of years before Jesus, we begin to see hints of the gospel in Psalm 31. In fact, if you look at verse, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, these are the last words that Jesus says on the cross. The last words that Jesus utters when he's on the cross, he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So even Jesus on the cross is feeling what David was writing in Psalm 31, and he pulls from Psalm 31 forward into future as he's on the cross, and he cries out before he dies, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Jesus removes the weight of eternal affliction. You see, what's interesting about the cross of Christ and how it ties into Psalm 31 is that the cross of Christ proves that affliction is not a sign of God's absence, but a means by which He demonstrates its future grace. So against those worldviews out there where suffering makes no sense, we don't know what to do with suffering because this this life is all there is and I should be enjoying my life. I should be comfortable in my life. Or against those is something we have to push away from and run away from. The cross speaks into that and gives us a third alternative, a third viewpoint is that affliction in your life when you belong to God is not a sign of God's absence, but a means by which He is demonstrating future grace in your life. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 53. Very quickly, we'll jump over to Isaiah 53 for a moment. And I'll show you what I mean. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, Isaiah, again, a prophet thousands of years before Jesus, writes these words. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Pierced, crushed, bearing the weight of our iniquities, our sin. The punishment that brought Us, peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. See, the cross is a sign of future grace. One other one in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 5, the Hebrew writer, as he's writing to the church, he says in chapter 5, verse 7, During the days of life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. He was heard. The Hebrew writer doesn't say he was saved, but that he was heard because of his reverent submission. In verse 8, so that's chapter 5, verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Once he suffered, where? On the cross. St. Augustine said, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. See, the cross is God's answer for suffering. The cross is God's answer for affliction. How does God deal with affliction for David? And how does he deal with it for us? Three quick points and then we'll wrap up. Just like David shows us that affliction can lead to fear because he felt abandoned by God, the cross of Christ is God's promise to you that you are never alone. Even in suffering, you are never alone. Just like David despaired of life because his suffering was so great, Jesus suffered on the cross so that even if you suffer in this life, you can rest in eternal salvation. David felt isolated and cut off Jesus was despised and cut off to make a wound, the dividing wall, that line of hostility, as Paul writes in Ephesians, to bring us near to the Father. So we are no longer strangers, but children. We're no longer strangers, but friends. And through the cross, God brings us near. So if you're struggling with suffering, if you're struggling with affliction, if you feel like, Your your life is just full of suffering. David was there. I've been there. Jesus was there. And you really have two options. You can retreat into blame and bitterness, and you can shake your fists at God for His failure to protect you from the pain. You can do that, or you can run to the cross. And you can trust that God is fulfilling His work of making you more like Jesus, even in the midst of your suffering, because the cross of Christ shows us that we have nothing to fear because our salvation is guaranteed. The cross shows us we're not abandoned because God has bridged the gap. The cross shows us we are never alone because through... The, the Christ's resurrection through the cross, God gives us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And so affliction is a gift of future grace that your suffering and my suffering today will one day lead us to a glorious future in God's perfect presence. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, as we move into a time of communion, we do thank you for the cross. We are grateful, Father, that because of Jesus, you have broken that line of hostility, that you have made a way for us. And as we celebrate communion this morning, remind us, Lord, of how much you love us. Remind us, Lord, of how much uh, you long for us to be near, of how you're working out all things together for our good, even our sufferings, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.